Good morning. Welcome back. We are continuing our study on the spiritual disciplines. Uh, last week we talked about hearing the Word of God and reading the Word of God, taking in Scripture. And we discussed what is the purpose of the spiritual disciplines. Who remembers the purpose of spiritual disciplines? Why do we engage in spiritual disciplines? Sanctification? Yeah, to grow in godliness, to grow in Christ-likeness. And again, I, I want to emphasize that we're not here to make someone feel bad because they don't do enough. Uh, the goal isn't condemnation, but encouragement. Take wherever you are, that's your baseline, and just excel still more. This week, we're going to be looking at Scripture memorization. And a lot of times you say, memorize, and you get a lot of eye rolls, and oh, no, why do I have to do this? It's not something people really look forward to doing because, well, it's hard work. It takes effort. Paul said, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, and if you're going to engage in scripture memorization, you're going to have to exercise some discipline and put some effort into doing this. You're not doing this for wealth. You're not doing this for a medal. You're doing this so you can be more like Christ. The spiritual disciplines are the path upon which we walk so we can grow in godliness. Richard Halverson said this about this discipline. He says, There is discipline involved in Christian growth. The rapidity with which a man grows spiritually and the extent to which he grows depends upon this discipline. It is the discipline of means. If you would like to grow in godliness and Christlikeness, you need to be engaging in the disciplines. Donald Whitney, again, I'm going to, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, says, While hearing and reading plant the seed of Scripture into the soul of our souls, other disciplines are the water and sun God uses to bring growth and the fruit of Christlikeness into our lives. You can plant seeds and leave them alone. And some of them will grow if you do nothing. But you may not have a very good harvest when you're done. If you would like to have a good harvest, if you would like to see fruit, you need to engage in the spiritual disciplines. And scripture memorization is something that is discussed throughout scripture. Deuteronomy 6.6, 6, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Moses at the end of his life, when he dies, the children of Israel are going to cross over into the promised land, and the book of Deuteronomy is him restating the law and retelling them what they need to be doing. And he says, this law should be on your heart. Well, what does that look like? If it's on your heart, how do we know if it's on your heart? The very next verse, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. If it's on your heart, it's going to be coming out of your mouth. It's going to be the lens through which you see the whole world. Everything is going to revolve around what God has said. Deuteronomy 11, verse 18. You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul. You notice he's not talking about just completing a daily Bible reading. He's going a lot further than just saying, listen to or read the scriptures. Have the scriptures inside of you. Because if all you do is listen and read, what's going to happen five minutes later? You're going to forget. 
Psalm 119, verse 11. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. He says he has treasured the word of God. This term refers to hiding in the sense of to treasure, to store up, or to reserve. You take something that's valuable, you take something that's worthwhile, and you hold on to it. You put it in a safe place. You treasure it. You store it. But it's not storing just for the sake of storing. It's storing for a purpose. You're holding on to it so that you can use it later. Another lexicon set of this word, it means to conceal something with a definite purpose, either for protection or for sinister reasons. This is something that's valuable that you're going to use later on. And the psalmist in Psalm 119 says, I have treasured, I have stored up for later use your word. Literally, the words of Yahweh, the word of God. I have stored it, and I have stored it in my heart. And what's the point of doing it? Why did he store it? He stored it so that he would not sin, so he could grow in godliness. Psalm 37, verse 31 the law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. Again, the law is in the heart of the righteous. Literally, the Torah of Yahweh. The law is not in a book. He's not, he doesn't grab his Bible, squeeze his Bible to his chest and say, look, I have the law of God. No, the law of God is not in a book. It's not in his, in his mouth. The law of God is in his heart. He has stored it in his heart, in his mind, so that his steps would be guided so he would not slip and fall. Proverbs 4, verse 21. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Now, to be sure, the, the, this proverb here is not talking about specifically the law of God. It's talking mainly about the words of wisdom coming from Solomon to his son. And he's telling them, take what I'm telling you and put it into your heart and store it there. And he says, keep them in the midst of your heart. Literally saying, keep it in the center, in the middle of your heart. You might say it this way, keep the law of God in the center of your attention, at the center of your thought life. Storing the word of God in your heart so that your foot would not slip. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. He said it's supposed to dwell. It doesn't come in and pass through. It comes in, it sticks around, it sets up a little house, and it lives there. It's dwelling. John 15, verse 7, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. They live inside of you. They stay there. They have been treasured there. This is scripture memorization. This goes a lot further than just completing the Bible reading. This goes further than just hearing. It's actively storing what God has said in your mind. John Piper preached a 45-minute sermon from this verse, on the words, and my words abide in you. 
And in that sermon, he gave eight reasons you should engage in scripture memorization. And rather than me just regurgitating that to you, I'm just going to let you hear it from him. And all I want to do in this simple message is to give my testimony and mingle it with Jesus' testimony of the value of memorizing Scripture. I'm pleading with you. So here's my testimony. I can give it to you in eight sentences without exposition. Number one, memorizing Scripture makes meditation possible at times when you can't be reading the Bible and meditation is the pathway to deeper understanding. So if you're going to meditate on the law of the Lord day and night, you need to have some of it in your head. Number two, memorizing Scripture strengthens my faith because faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And that happens when I am hearing the Word in my head. Number three, memorizing Scripture shapes the way I view the world by conforming my mind to God's viewpoint. On everything. Number four, memorizing Scripture makes God's Word more readily accessible in overcoming temptation to sin because God's warnings and promises are the way we conquer the lies, the deceitful lies of the devil. Number five, memorizing Scripture guards my mind, making it easier for me to detect error. And the world is filled with error because the God of this world is a liar. Number six, memorizing Scripture enables me to hit the devil in the face with a force he cannot resist to protect myself and my family from his assaults. What are you hitting him with? He is millions of times stronger than you. And he hates you, and your family, and your marriage, and this church, and God. How anybody walks through this devil-ruled world without a sword in their hand is beyond me. Memorize. Memorizing Scripture provides the strongest and sweetest words for ministering to others in need. Ever been caught off guard with somebody in need? You don't need to be caught off guard. And finally, number eight, memorizing Scripture provides the matrix for fellowship with Jesus because He talks to me here and nowhere else. But oh, Sweetly, powerfully, authentically, really speaks to me here. And then I speak back to him in prayer. And if this is here, we can talk anywhere. And it's sweet. It is very sweet. I think the one that stands out to me on that is when he said it gives you the opportunity to minister to people in need. How many times have you wanted to give an encouragement to someone or help someone while they're struggling and you're reaching for a verse, but you don't have one to say? 
memorizing scripture gives you the opportunity to have a verse, to have something from the word of God to say when your friends, when your family, when your spouse, when your kids need to hear from God, you'll have something to tell them. So let's get started here. I'm going to give suggestions and recommendations on how to memorize scripture. You can use anything that works well for you. You don't have to do exactly what I'm saying here. Find what works best for you. You can do some more research on Google, and you'll find all sorts of stuff that you can use. But if you want to memorize scripture, you need to start with having a plan. Your plan needs to include the time of day that you're actually going to set aside to do this. You need to be intentional about it. Set aside some time that you're going to commit to memorizing scripture. And then you have to decide, well, what am I going to memorize? Bible's a big book. Where do I start? Again, a suggestion. Start with scripture that deals with your specific struggles. If you're dealing with a specific sin, start there. If you're struggling with weak faith and you're struggling with doubt, maybe start in James 1. But let him ask in faith without any doubting. For the man who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And let not that man think he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. You can memorize verses that are on doubt. Or you can take what Pastor said last week in a sermon, put off and put on. The doubt is what you put off. What do you put on? You put on faith. So you can go to Romans 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Or you can go to Hebrews 11. Faith is the assurance of? There you go. So start with stuff, with verses that deal with your specific struggles. Okay, so that leaves the question. Do I memorize just one verse or do I memorize an entire section of verses? Do I memorize an entire passage? The answer to this question is yes. Yes. You memorize individual verses that deal with your sin. You memorize passages, sections that deal with your sin. And if you don't want to do a section or a passage on your sin, then just find a text you really like. What's a passage that you really enjoy? And memorize that. I'm going to give you two different ways to, to do memorization. The first one we'll talk about, it's writing it out. But for both of these, you're going to want to write down the verses that you're going to memorize. You can write them on a sheet of paper. You can write them on an individual index card. This makes it to where you can take these verses anywhere you're going. You can take the paper, fold it up, put it in your pocket, the little individual index card, nice and easy to carry. When you write the verse, make sure you write it word perfectly. You're, you're going to be memorizing this later. So you want to write it exactly the way it is in your Bible, and then strive to memorize the passage word perfectly. So the first method that we're going to use to memorize Scripture is writing them out. Just writing the verse by hand will help you memorize the verse and remember the verse. And in this method, we're just going to do this repeatedly. Take a single sheet of paper, write the verse perfectly at the top, cover it up, and write the verse again. And as you write, some of you just going to feel a little weird doing this, recite the verse as you write. 
And I know that's going to feel like you're back in first grade saying everything you're writing. But it's allowing you to learn the verse in multiple ways. You're learning the verse through writing. You're learning the verse because you're seeing it as you write it. You're learning the verse because you're saying it. And you're learning the verse because you're hearing yourself say it. And so reciting the verse will be very helpful. And then as you do this, use helps as needed. So go back and check. Make, make sure you're doing it. If you forget part of it, go back and look and keep writing. As you're doing this, you're going to want to take breaks. This is mentally intensive work. And just like an athlete, you, you can't just keep going. If we, were gonna, if we were all training to run a marathon today, today was the first day of training, some of us might start off running five miles. That definitely would not be me. I'd start off running 500 feet, and then I'd have to sit down and drink a Dr. Pepper. just wouldn't work. Okay, but others of you, you'd get up and you'd run five miles, and it would be, okay, that's where you're starting. Scripture memorization is like running a marathon. You have to start where you are, and not everybody can go for an hour. Not everybody can run a marathon this morning. So you need to force some breaks into your schedule. You can do that by just saying, well, here's my piece of paper. Draw a line. When I get to that spot on the page, I'm taking a break. Or you can just set a timer. And when the timer goes off, I'm going to stop. And it gives your mind a chance to rest. Ideally, you don't want to go more. You want to keep it somewhere between 5 to 15 minutes of memorization. Why 5 to 15 because the marathon thing again. Some of us can't run five miles yet. How do you know when you need to take a break? Let's say you're memorizing John 1, 1 through 3. You'll get verses 1 and 2 memorized. You'll get to verse 3. And then all of a sudden, you start forgetting verses 1 and 2. Your mind is now tired. You need to stop. For most people, that's going to be somewhere between 5 to 15 minutes. You might be longer. But take a break your break needs to be 10 to 15 minutes. So if this is in your devotionals, stop memorizing, start reading. Or start praying. Or read some Christian literature. Go do something else, get your mind off it. Two reasons for this. One, you need a break. Two, this is going to take what you've memorized and it's going to push it from short-term memory to long-term memory. You're going to stop thinking about it for a few minutes. You're going to go do something else, and it's going to give your brain an opportunity to, to lose that particular file. After the break, you're going to come back to your memorization, and you're going to write the verse cold. No helps. Don't look. Just try to write it. That's going to give your brain the opportunity to learn how to go back and retrieve that information. Most of the time when people forget the verses they've memorized, it's because they do their memorization, they stop, and they never come back to it. And so that material stays in short-term memory, and then it's lost. By coming back and reviewing it, you create a little pathway in your brain to that information. And then you want to limit yourself to 30 minutes per day. I, I heard this little rule, and I was like, no, I can do more than that. And that lasted about two days, <laughs> and it was over. So don't try to be like me and be an overachiever. Just 
keep it down to 30 minutes and give your brain a chance. Once you've memorized your verses and you finished your memorization for the day, you took your break, you came back, you wrote it cold, you need to come back to that verse later in the day. Not another 15, 20-minute session. Just come back to the verse. And you want to do this at, at increasing intervals. So you finish, you take your break, you review the verse. Let's say an hour later, you come back, you just try to write the verse again. It'll take you all of a minute. Just try to write it again. Check your work. Now you're going to wait a little bit longer. Go five hours. Again, these numbers are made up. You can pick the numbers you want. Go five hours. Come back, write the verse again. Before you go to bed, write the verse again. And then when you wake up in the morning, do it again. This is forcing that verse in a long-term memory. And if you wake up the next morning and you can write that verse out, you've got it. Now all you have to do is review it. Review it every day for a week. Skip the next week, don't review it, and then come back to that verse after not looking at it for a week. It should still be there. And you're just pushing that further and further into your long-term memory. Does that make sense? Have I lost anybody? Okay. All right. Any questions on writing for memorization? Any comments on that? Okay. The second one, and we're going to actually do the second one together here. So we'll have fun. It's the same process. The only difference is in this one, you're not going to write it out. You're just going to do this verbally. Okay, and we'll do this together, so it's time for participation, okay? We're, we're doing James chapter 1, verse 2. Now, this is a fairly short verse, but even if you have a longer verse, you don't want to try to memorize this all in one big chunk. That's going to be miserable. You want to break the verse up. Notice this verse has commas in it. Those commas are your friend. They help you know where to break it up at. So we'll just start with the first section up to the first comma. Consider it all joy. All right? So who has memorized this verse already? Okay, well, that's good because you, you can help us. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to say the verse three times. We're going to say what's in red three times. And then I'm going to get rid of the screen, and we're going to say it three more times. You ready? All right, here we go. Consider it all joy. Consider it all joy. Consider it all joy. All right, who can say just that portion? Jessica, let's hear it. Forrest. Carl. Okay, easy enough, right? All right, now let's go to the next section. We're just going to add a little bit, and because this is still pretty short, we can do it all together. We're just going to add my brethren, okay? Three times. Here we go. Consider it all joy, my brethren. Consider it all joy, my brethren. Consider it all joy, my brethren. Again. All right, who can say the whole thing? There you go. All right. Now, you see the second half? The second half is as long as the first half. So we're just going to do the second half by itself. The benefit of this is now that first half is going to get pushed into long-term memory. We're not going to think on it for a little while, and we're going to add the second half, and then we're going to come back and do the whole verse. Does that make sense? 
So just what's in black, three times. Here we go. When you encounter various trials, when you encounter various trials, when you encounter various trials... Okay, now let's say the whole thing. Now, the whole thing. Ready? Congratulations, you just memorized a verse. It took us less than five minutes to pull it off. Now, when we finish the class, just repeat the verse one time. Don't look, just repeat, the cla- repeat it one time. After service... Repeat the verse one time. When you sit down for dinner, repeat the verse one time. And before you go to bed, repeat the verse one time. Tomorrow morning, you'll have the verse in your head. And you'll be able to repeat it again. From here on out, all you have to do is review. Easy, right? That was easy. All right. Last little piece of advice. Get some accountability. A friend, fellow church member, a family member, a spouse... Get someone who can memorize verses with you. And then you come back and you recite the verses together. Accountability provides a lot of things. One, it brings determination. You're less likely to be lazy and slothful and say, well, I don't need to do this today. Why? Because you're going to have to go to your friend and recite it for them. Two, it brings motivation. Maybe this is just a guy thing, but... You know, if I go and my buddy's got it all memorized and I'm slacking, that's not going to be cool. So it's going to motivate me to want to memorize my verses so he's not the only one who's got it. And it brings consistency. You need all three of these. And so having some accountability will help you in your memorization. Okay, any questions on memorization, comments? Yes, ma'am. Yes. You, yeah, you, that would be really good. So you can include the location. So when you're doing your memorization, just add James 1, 2. And just repeat it that way. So thank you. Good point. There's, yes, sir. There's an app out there. It's actually a fellowship called the Scripture Memory Fellowship, I believe. They have mm-hmm. an app. Good point. Yeah, there's plenty of apps out there. Um what what did you say that one was called? It's called Scripture Memory Fellowship. Scripture, Scripture Memory Fellowship. I think there's another one called Fighter Versus. So, yes, there is an app for this. And you don't even have to write it. It's right there on your phone. So, anything else? Comments, questions? All right. Let's look at Meditation. Now, meditation and memorization, you're going to find there's a lot of overlap between these two. If you do memorization, you're going to end up doing meditation. And as you do some of these meditation methods, you're going to end up memorizing. Thomas Watson said that meditation is the very heart and lifeblood of religion. He said, to hear and to meditate, uh, to hear and not to meditate is unfruitful. The heart is hard and the memory is slippery. The thoughts are loose and vain, and unless we cover the good seed, the birds of the air will take it away. It is like a thing put into a bag with holes, lost while it's received. I saw this video of this tiny little baby boy who 
looks like he just learned how to walk, and he's got this plastic bag, and he's hunting for Easter eggs. And as he picks up one egg, he drops it in the bag, and there's a hole in the bottom of the bag, and it falls out. And he goes and picks up the other one, drops it in the bag, it falls out. And then he turns around, picks up the same egg he just dropped, and it, he never realized it. But that's what we do when we're in Scripture. We read the Scriptures, and it just kind of falls away. Thomas Watson had said, meditation without reading is erroneous. Reading without meditation is barren. The reason we come away so cold from reading the Word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. You know those really cold winter days? You go outside, it's like 20 degrees, and it's not actually raining, it's misting. And you spend, you know, a couple hours outside, you walk back in the house, your hands are numb, your toes are numb, your face is numb. And someone's got a nice big fire in the fireplace. And so you walk in the house and you see the fire, you're doing this, and my computer's a fire, and you're like, I'm going to warm up. Man, I'm still cold. Well, there must be something wrong with me, because I didn't warm from the fire. No, the problem isn't you. The problem is you didn't stick around. You didn't linger by the fire to allow it to warm you. And most of the time, people go into the Word of God, and we just read right through it, and we never stop to linger to allow it to warm your heart. James Nichols says the Word of God in the Scripture is as honey in the comb. By meditation, you squeeze out the sweetness, and it will still... It, uh, it will be still dropping comfort and sweet refreshment upon your souls while you are pressing it by consideration. He compares Scripture to a honeycomb. And a honeycomb, if you just pick it up and held it, you know, one little drop of honey will come off. But if you really want to get some honey out of it, what you have to do is you have to squeeze the honeycomb. It takes some work. And then the honey will some, come pouring out of it. And he says the Scriptures are the same way. You can't just pick up the word and expect to get some sweetness out of it. You have to squeeze the word of God with meditation and thinking on the word so you can get the sweetness. Thomas Watson again. As the musing on amorous objects makes the fire of lust burn, and the musing on injuries makes the fire of revenge burn, so meditating on the transcendent beauties of Christ could make our love for Christ flame forth. If you're cold in your affection toward Christ, if your walk feels kind of stale, spend some time meditating on the scriptures so that your love can grow. Last one from Watson. Meditation has a transforming power in it. The hearing of the word may affect us, but the meditating upon it transforms us. Meditation stamps the impression of divine truths upon our heart. You read the word and then you stop and you think on and meditate about the Word of God. And this is found all the way through Scriptures. Consider some of the promises that are made to those who meditate on the Word of God. Psalm 1 describes the blessed man, the man who has the favor of God. It says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law He meditates day and night. If you want to have the favor of heaven, if you would like God to smile upon you, so to speak... Meditate on the word of God. He continues, speaking of that blessed man, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. 
He has all the strength he needs. He has all the endurance he needs. His leaf does not wither. He doesn't wear out. And in whatever he does, he prospers. This is not the prosperity gospel. It's talking about in his life, he prospers in his spiritual walk with the Lord. This is the same promise made to Joshua in Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Obedience comes from constantly meditating on, thinking on what the word of God has to say. And then he gives the same promise. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Now he uses a term here to meditate. It's the Hebrew word hagah. And it can mean to declare, to mutter, or to utter. And it kind of describes someone who's just kind of repeating something, like you're memorizing it, and you're just repeating it over and over and over. When it's used to uh, describe repeated action, like day and night, it describes meditation. And we can get an understanding of what this word means, to meditate, by looking at how it's used by other writers. In the Psalms, it's put in parallel. It's made equal with other terms. Like one verb that means to remember. Psalm 63, 7. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Remember and meditate are in parallel. To meditate means to remember. To call to mind what God has done, who God is, so you, you see this is kind of bleeding over into memorization. How are you going to lay on your bed at night and think about what God has done if you don't have some scripture in your head? So meditation is remembering. It's also put in parallel with a verb that means to muse, to think over. Psalm 77 verse 12. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. I will think about, I will dwell on, I will consider who you are and what you have done. Meditation is remembering and thinking on. It's not clearing your mind. It's not trying to find yourself. It's not the Buddhist or the the Eastern spiritualism. It's actively thinking on, remembering what God has done. Thomas Watson defines this as a serious thinking on God. I like that definition. It's nice and short. A serious thinking on God. Donald Whitney gives a much longer definition. He says it's deep thinking on the truths and spiritual realities revealed in Scripture or upon life from a scriptural perspective for the purposes of understanding, application, and prayer. We're going to think on meditate on, remember what God has said so that we can understand it, so that we can apply it, and so that we can pray it. It's for a purpose, right? Okay. So how do we do this? How do you meditate? First, select a passage. And again, don't make this complicated. Find one that you love. Find one that got your attention while you were doing your Bible reading. Or pick one that pertains to your struggles. Whichever one you want. From Genesis to Revelation, find one that you want 
to think on. Next, you need to isolate a portion of the text to think about. And again, this can be a portion that deals with your struggles. So if you're in James and you're dealing with doubt, you can just focus in on the verses that deal specifically with doubt. Or you can take a paragraph and you can say, what's the main idea of this paragraph? I'm going to think on and dwell on that main idea. Or you can go to a key verse. You just need to isolate it down to one one simple thing that you can think on. If you try to think on, you know, an entire chapter, it's going to be rough. Okay? The next part is select your method of meditation. I've been going through this little book. It's called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. And I've really found it helpful. He actually gives 17 different methods of meditation. You don't have to use all of them, and we're not going to go through all of them either. But the nice thing about that is you can use all of them or some of them, and you can interchange and switch between them. So you don't have to do the same thing over and over again. And let's just look at a couple of these, and if you guys have comments or questions, feel free. Let's look at the first one. Emphasize different words. This method takes the verse or phrase of Scripture and turns it like a diamond to examine every facet. And we'll do this together. Take this out of John 11, verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Who said that? Jesus. You're going to emphasize individual words, and again, this is where you say it. Now, I don't know if you can tell, but I is in bold, and it's in italics. So you're going to emphasize the very first word. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Try it. I am the resurrection and the life. So when you say that, what comes to your mind? Jesus? Okay. What's the emphasis? I'm sorry? The speaker? Is there an exclusivity here? It's me. He didn't say we. We are the resurrection and the life. He didn't even say you. He said I. And you may say, well, that's kind of obvious. I know it's obvious. But that's what we miss when we just pass over the verse. Let's try the other one. I am. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. What's unique there? I'm sorry? Present tense. This isn't past tense. I used to be. This isn't even future tense. I will be. He says, right now, I am the resurrection and the life. And you, you can keep going through this entire, you can keep going, and it goes all the way through the passage, word by word. You just stop and consider each individual word. Just like if you were to take a diamond and spin the diamond around and look at every single facet of that diamond. Pick any verse that you want in Scripture, and this works. Have a little notebook next to you and just write down your thoughts as you go through it. And take even the obvious ones because, trust me, you'll miss them later.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would focus my memorization on one translation that I use. Um, and if someone cites the verse from a different translation, you can just verify with them, is, is this the verse you're talking about? And I, I think just having a simple discussion with them and saying, I, I don't recognize that verse, which one is that? And that, that'll solve that. But I don't know that there's an, and if anyone has any suggestions on that, I don't know that there's a solution to that because there are so many different translations out there. And that sometimes, you know, if you cite a verse out of the King James to me, sometimes I'm like, huh? <laughs> Is that English? So I don't know that there's a perfect solution to that other than just saying, I, I don't recognize the translation or the verse. Can, where's that from? So any other So I, I would say just stick to the translation that you use regularly, the one that you read from, the one that you bring to church, and be familiar with that. And then any confusion later, just have a conversation about it, and, and that'll, that'll solve that. All right, any other comments, questions? All right, meditation method number two. Look for application from the text. Ask yourself, how am I supposed to respond to this text? What would God have me do as a result of my encounter with his word? James 1.22 says we are to be doers of the word, not just hearers. So when you read a text, ask, how do I apply this text? How does this deal with me? Is there something to start, to stop, to confess, to pray about, to believe, or to say to someone? Is this text calling for me to respond in a certain way? And then just follow that rabbit trail. If it's calling me to respond, how is it calling me to respond? If it's calling me to pray, what are the things it's calling me to pray about? What is it saying about prayer? And how can I implement that in my life? And you begin applying that text to yourself. Uh, take, for example, Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. How do you apply this verse? Well, you start right at the beginning. It tells you, be anxious for nothing. So that means there are some things you can be worried about. Right? Be anxious for nothing. What that's telling me is I'm not supposed to be worried about anything. Nothing should make me worried. I shouldn't be panicking about COVID-19. I shouldn't be worried and fright fearful over it. That does not say you shouldn't be cautious and careful. I, you, I don't recommend you be scared of Mack trucks either, but I also recommend you look both ways before you cross the street. So, <laughs> But we should be fearful. We should be anxious for nothing. So that's the first application. What are the things I'm anxious for? What things cause me to worry? Another application but in everything, by prayer. So what am I supposed to do instead of worrying? I put off the worry, what do I put on? Prayer. 
You see how we're just asking really basic, obvious questions? And again, some of these are going to seem really obvious, but these are the things we miss every time we just read through really fast and we don't stop to think about what we're reading. And then when we don't stop to think about it and we miss it, how do we apply it? Well, we don't. It never gets applied and we become hearers only and not doers. Method number three. Formulate a principle from the text. Think of it as a type of summary of the main uh, message of the passage. And Donald Whitney actually provided two. I'm, I'm going to just give you his. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This is Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount. Here's how he summarized the text. Jesus teaches his followers to pray. He took multiple verses and gave the main idea. What's the main point of this passage? You know, if you went and did that through the entire gospel and you wrote out the verses that you'd essentially create an outline, you'd have a much better understanding of that entire gospel if you did that. Because you would be able to follow his train of thought all the way through from the beginning of the book all the way to the end. Or Luke 8, 19 through 56. Now that's going to take a little work. That's a lot of verses to go through. Here's how he summarized it. Jesus has authority over creation, over demons, over illness, and over death. So he took each section out of there and just said, Jesus has authority, and here's how he's demonstrating his authority. And that summarizes the entire passage. Now you have something that you can meditate on. Now you have something that you can think about for a while. Jesus has authority over creation over demons, over illness. Should you really be worried about any of those things if Jesus has authority over it? Should you really be concerned about all of those and spend your life wondering what's going to happen? Jesus has authority over all of them. By boiling it down to one simple thought, it gives you something to think on and to apply. Number four, ask what it reveals about God. Now, this is out of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So when you see the Lord in all caps, what does that mean? In the Old Testament, when it's on all caps, what are they telling you? Yeah, it's the covenant name of Yahweh. Yahweh is the name that God used every time he made covenant. Yahweh is the covenant-making and the covenant-keeping God. And so as we look at Psalm 23, verse 1, we can ask some simple questions about what does this say about God? What does this passage reveal about God? What are some things this passage says about God? This one Great point. Yeah, Forrest is saying um, the shepherd provides for his sheep. He protects his sheep. He leads them. He makes sure they have food and water. He cares for them. He defends them against wolves. 
So that one word, there's a whole bunch wrapped up in the idea of being a shepherd. Carl? A leader. Yahweh is the leader. He, he leads. So the psalmist here is saying about God, he, he provides for me, he cares for me, he protects me, he leads me. See anything else? He's always my shepherd. He's always there to defend. He's always there to provide and protect. John, did you have something? Yes. I like how you emphasize we need a lot. Because that's actually, when you look at sheep, sheep are some of the, sorry, some of the dumbest little animals God ever created. They are completely useless on their own. They have no ability to do anything by themselves. They can't get food on their own. They can't get water on their own. They can't find a place to sleep on their own. They have no defensive techniques or capabilities. They have no offensive capabilities. They're useless by themselves. A sheep without a shepherd is dead. He's lunch. Yeah. Intelligent little guys, aren't they? And here's the best part. God says, that's you and me. <laughs> In John 15, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And you're, all you're doing is thinking on just a few little words. The Lord is my shepherd. Just stop for a few moments and think about what does the passage say about God. And it's going to bring up a whole bunch of other things because now you're going to start looking at yourself going, oh my goodness, this says something about me too. All right, meditation method number five. This comes from Thomas Watson, and he, he just gives some things that you can think about. So the nice thing about this is you really don't have to go pick a passage. The topic will kind of determine the passage. And I know that's kind of small, but I'll read it. Um, you can consider your own sinful nature. That's not going to be fun. But it's so necessary. John Owen said, load your conscience with the guilt of sin. Consider what you were before Christ got you. Now consider your sinful nature after Christ got you. If you're struggling with pride... Just spend some time thinking about your own sinful nature and how much you still indulge in sin. Consider the death and suffering of Jesus Christ. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed to his Father, Lord, let this cup pass from me. I don't think he was talking about the Romans beating him up and crucifying him. The thing that terrified him the most was not some nails and a hammer. It was the wrath of God that was going to be poured out upon him. He knew perfectly what was going to happen. He knew exactly what that wrath was. Just spend a few moments considering that. That was supposed to be you and me. Consider the truth about heaven. If you need some help, pastor just did two sermons on it. Just spend some time considering the realities of heaven. 
Go into the text, read some passages, and consider that one day you too will be enjoying heaven. The uncertainty of earthly comfort. If COVID-19 has done anything, it should reveal to you that a lot of the things that we love and enjoy in this life are passing. A lot of people had, you know, idols and sports, and that just got ripped away. They're passing, they're fleeting. Consider God's severity against sin. If you think about the death of Christ and the wrath that he endured, and then you realize, well, that was supposed to be me, there's no way you're going to turn around after thinking about that and say, well, God will be okay if I just indulge in the sin a little bit more. Last one. Consider eternal life. Everyone here had a beginning. Everyone here had a day where your life began. But your spiritual life will never end. For eternity, you and I will remain. You will never again be not you. You will always be now. And the only question is, where will you be after you die? Think on that for a while. Consider what a million years is like. Now multiply that by a million and try to grasp that idea. All right. The last little tidbit I'll give you is take your time. Schedule enough time that you actually have time to sit and think. I know the world is busy. I know you've got five million different people begging for your time and pulling you in 15 different directions. But you've got to find time to break away and just sit there and think. Now, if you're looking at your devotional life and you're saying, well, I only have this little itty-bitty of time, when do I do this? Well, in the short term, what I would say is reduce your Bible reading, read one chapter instead of three, and spend a little time thinking on that one. And you're just going to make that one chapter far more effective for you than if you were to read three chapters. That's short term. Long term, you need to find a way to break some more time off. And that may mean you need to cut some other things out so you can spend more time thinking on and meditating on Scripture. Questions? Comments? Yes, ma'am. I use a book called uh, Taking Heaven by Storm, um, which I believe we use. It's in the bookstore. Um, and then I also went to some Thomas Watson sermons. Um, this is also another book that's in the bookstore by Donald Whitney. Donald Whitney is the same guy who wrote uh, Praying the Bible, which was the book of the month last year, year before. Any other questions, comments? Yes.
you're actually the second person who's recommended that book, God's Battle Plan for the Mind. I have the book somewhere. It's just in a box, and I can't find it. So <laughs> eventually I'll get to read it. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's deliberate where you set aside time, and then there's occasional where you're just kind of doing it throughout the day. But the doing it throughout the day comes out of setting aside some time to meditate. And what you will find is if you spend some time meditating on a verse, on a passage, what you'll find is throughout the day, you'll, you'll keep going back and rethinking about it. And it'll just affect you all day, which is what we want, right? All right. Yes, ma'am. It's a great question. Because worry is just a form of meditation. When we worry, we just think on the problem constantly. And instead of thinking on the problem, think on the God who's over the problem and meditate on him for a while and the worry will go away. All right. Yes, sir. Exactly. Yeah. All right. We are out of time. It's 10 o'clock. I, I hope this has at least encouraged you to want to memorize some scripture and meditate on it. Um, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to, to consider these spiritual disciplines, these means that you have given us to grow in our godliness and Christ-likeness and uh, we just ask that you would help each of us to take where we are in our discipline and to excel still more, uh, that we would not be discouraged because we, we feel like we don't live up to some standard, but that we would seek to honor and to glorify you in disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.